0: Everybody, glad to see you at New Life Church. How many you guys are excited to be here today to worship the Lord? Come on, come on. I love it. I want to say a big uh, shout out to everybody here at our Carney campus, everybody that's online right now, sitting around in your pajamas and your house shoes. God bless you. And everybody that's with us at uh, Ogallala or our North Platte campus. Exciting, exciting. One church. Multiple locations. My name's Jeff. Uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Glad to have you guys with us. We're kicking off a brand new series. We entitled it Little, Little, right? But the word little takes up the entire screen. And that's because when we look through scripture, we see man doing a bunch of little things that God turns around and does a bunch of big things with. And we're going to be looking at some of this. I believe this series is going to be highly encouraging for you. I think you're gonna see yourself in a different way than you've ever seen yourself. We're gonna walk this series through for this entire month. You are not going to wanna to miss a single Sunday. And that's because little things can make a big impact. I want you to think about little things that make a big impact in your life, All right? Let's start out with some science-based ones. Like a little atom, okay? Just a little atom. You split a bunch of atoms and what do you get? A big bomb, that's what you get. If you didn't know that, okay, now you do, All right? Some nuclear action going on. Um, how about uh, those little things that make a big difference, like those uh, little biting gnats that we call noceums? How have you guys ever been bit by one of those before, right? You've been bit by one of those things, and like, man, you like look underneath your watch, and you're like, what in the world was that thing? And then it's gone, you never see it, and then you just get this like red, like, bulge that happens right there. I hate those things, those little biting gnats. How about lice? Yeah, not fun, right? If you've ever had lice in your house, holy cow. We had uh, two of our girls when they were teenagers go off to you know, Bible camp. They came back with lice. We wanted to come back with more Jesus. They came back with lice. It, I mean, we're talking like clothes uh all have to be washed specially right uh your 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 pillows all put in like you know plastic bags i mean it was crazy i don't even want to go back and remember all of it but bed bugs how many guys have ever had bed bugs no one's ever going to raise their hand like not like you had it in your house but you were at a place where you got bit by bed bugs that's a horrible experience it's yet to happen to me but i guarantee you with as much travel as i do one of these days it's going to happen Right now, I don't know about you, but talking about gnats, lice, and bed bugs—is anybody else got a, like feels like things are crawling on you right now, or did I just deposit that thought into your head? And if I did, I'm sorry. Little things make a big impact. You know, like a, like a hundred dollar bill. Right, a, a one one single hundred dollar bill can do a lot. Maybe not as much as it used to, but it can still do a lot. How many of you guys would take a hundred dollar bill if I had one in my pocket right now? I don't, I don't even have my wallet with me, but like, you would take it because it does a lot. How about a, little small, a, a small cell phone? Think about what a small cell phone can do, just a little cell phone, and what can't it do, right? I mean, it doesn't do toast yet, but one day it will. <laughs> one day it will, right? So I mean, that little cell phone can do anything, it's crazy. It's, I, I know how to like ruin the best brownies you've ever tasted in your life. Do you know how to run the best brownies you ever tasted in your life? Put, a, put just a little, just a little bit of dog poop in them. And how much dog poop would, would there have to be before you would be like, no, nah, I'd probably still eat it. How much? How much? Is it itsy-bitsy? Teeny-weeny? Little bitty? I mean, I don't even know what those measurements are, by the way. Which one is greater? Which one is smaller? Itsy-bitsy or teeny-weeny? I don't know. All I know is this. I don't care what amount it is. You tell me, oh, hey, by the way, you're going to love these brownies because I got something special in them. I'm like, Nix, I'm out, right? Like, they're all yours. You can keep them. Little things do make a big impact, like a little sliver of metal or wood. You ever got one of that? You ever got a little sliver of metal or wood in your finger and then everything you touch is just, like, highly sensitive, hypersensitive? Does that ever happen to you or just me? One day I was out hunting. I was a youth pastor, so it was Saturday night, all right, because uh, I didn't have to preach the next morning. So let's go out hunting all night long. And so we're out hunting raccoons in the middle of the night, spotlighting, you know, raccoons and then, um, you know, shooting them, hopefully. That night wasn't that great. Uh, We got one, he's up in the tree. This was years and years ago, so forgive me if you don't like hunting, all right? Uh, But the story's good because the raccoon lives, (laughs) all right? The raccoon's up in the tree, and we get by, and we're we're looking at it, and then all of a sudden, this raccoon starts scrambling up the tree. And as he does that bark, and things are coming down, and I'm trying to keep my eye on him, and then all of a sudden, that raccoon jumps out, jumps out of the tree and starts flying down toward me. So I did what any normal, you know, grown man would do, screamed like a junior high girl. And got out of the way, and the raccoon hits the ground and takes off. Well, through all that chaos, some microscopic piece of wood got into my eye, right? I was trying to get it out. I could tell something was there. I was trying to wipe it away like any of you would, but it just keeps festering, right? And I don't know what's going on. Like, this thing's in my eye. It's way up in here now. And what ended up happening was this micro piece of wood got stuck in the upper eyelid way back in there, and it's stuck in the eyelid. So it's just kind of, like, festering with my eye. Well, we get home about 2 o'clock in the morning, and it's time to go to bed, right? And so I didn't know this about the human body, but did you realize that when you go to bed, your eyes kind of rotate back into your head a little bit? And did you realize that your eyeball isn't completely circular, right? It it bulges out a little bit, okay? It bulges out. So when your eye rotates back, right, it rotates back, it would hit that that little sliver. And every time I try to fall asleep, oh, 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 right? That's what would happen. You guys are laughing at my pain. Can't believe this. We're supposed to be a loving group of people here. So now it's 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm making my way to the emergency room. I can't get this thing out, so they decide they're going to put a plastic disc in my eye with a hose hooked to it. I looked like I was like a Borg off of like Star Trek or something. (laughs) This thing's stuck in there. They're flushing water in. Nothing's happening, right? I get out of there in enough time to get back home, change my clothes, and come to church, but now i got a big patch over my eye, so I'm the pastor pirate, Right? (laughs) So I'm here on that Sunday with my patch on my eye, and they tell me I, go, I have to go see a specialist. They just can't get it out. They don't know what it is. So Monday morning, I make my way to Omaha to see a specialist who proceeds to fold back my eyelid once. Okay? Now, junior high boys, we used to do that, you know, to, like, you know, gross others out. It's not fun when you're an adult anymore, right? And so they p- peel it back. He's looking, can't find it. And he goes, we're going to have to fold your eyelid back a second time. So he takes my eyelid a second time and folds it back on this. At this moment, I didn't even know that was physically possible. I have a superhuman gift. He folds it back a second time and he finds a sliver, he goes, oh, there it is, there it is. And He pulls it out and he sits it on a nice little metal tray. And then he proceeds to unfold my eyelid, which drops down somewhere around my nose. <laughs> Once that gets sucked back up, And he's like, there it is. And I go, I can't see it. He goes, you're gonna need to use the magnifying glass to see it. And I look at it through a magnifying glass and sure enough, there is the microscopic piece of wood that has now caused me to be a pastor pirate, lose two nights worth of sleep, right? And the raccoon lived. I've never been out raccoon hunting again. (laughs) Little microscopic thing makes such a big impact. You know what else makes a big impact? A little faith. A little faith can make A big difference. This is what Jesus said about a little faith in Matthew chapter 17. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, yet you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. The faith, the size of a mustard seed. So what is the size of a mustard seed? Well, look at your screens right now, and you'll see how big a mustard seed actually is compared to the human finger. Jesus is saying that the smallest seed that was found in the Middle East is the type of faith you need if you want to actually speak to the mountain and cause it to move. This little seed planted in the ground grows to be a small, very small kind of a tree that birds can actually come, put their nests in, and they can live, and it sustains life. A little bit of faith goes a long way. So I thought to myself, Well, to to preach this to you today, I've got to have a good example of what does mustard seed faith look like that moves a mountain. Because you need an example of this to understand what it really looks like. And there's a lot of places in the Bible that we could have gone. But for this message today, I wanted to take you and talk to you about Peter walking on the water. Because when I look at Peter walking on the water and I start dissecting it from the perspective of a little mustard seed faith moves a mountain and how that correlates and applies to my life, man, it it just comes alive. And I'm going to tell you today that as we look at this passage, no matter who you are, right, whether you've never read this passage or you've read this passage a hundred times, what's amazing to me is every time we go back to God's word, especially the stories that we think we know it all, It's amazing how God uses that to bring fresh revelation to us. I believe God's going to do that for you today. He's going to cause you to walk away with some actionable content, right, that's going to be able to apply to your life. So let's set it up before I read it. The disciples have have been sent on a journey by Jesus from the east side of the Sea of Galilee, which, by the way, is just a large lake, okay, over to the west side, which is where they live. And it was at night, and Jesus was going to go up into the mountains on the east side. He was going to pray then he would get around and he would meet them on the other side at some point in the journey, okay? So they start out, and they start out, and it's like any other night, right? It's been kind of nice. But somewhere as they get towards the middle of the lake... A huge storm comes barreling from the west, Mediterranean Sea area, over the mountains and drops into the Sea of Galilee, which is below sea level. So the winds from the Mediterranean come rushing in and then they rush over the top of the mountains and they pick up extreme speed as they make their way down into this valley. And it causes this water to turn into like almost oceanic in a sense where waves get really big, a lot of white caps. It gets tumultuous very quick and that's what the disciples have got themselves into but not to worry because many of the disciples came from this area they've fished on this lake they're used to this right they know what to do they're not freaking out because of the waves they're not freaking out because of the wind at this particular moment and that's where jesus finds them in matthew chapter 14 about three o'clock in the morning jesus came toward them walking on the water so he's walking on huge waves With wind blowing all over the place. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. They screamed like junior high girls. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Right? But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over. The side of the boat, and he walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified, and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out, and he grabbed him. You have what? So little faith. What did Jesus say about his faith? He says, you have what? So little faith, Jesus says. Why do you doubt me? I want, to, I want you to see this from a perspective that maybe many of you have never seen before. How much faith did Peter have to walk on the water? A little. You're, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's only because when he started to sink, he's talking about his faith. No, at this particular moment, Peter wasn't confident enough to be able to even recognize that Jesus was God's only son. He was still trying to figure out, who is this guy that works miracles? Who is this guy that speaks in parables? Who is this guy, right? I've chosen to follow him, but really, who is he? Is he just the next leader? Is he just going to become the next king of Israel? Is he just going to be the one that frees our people from, from the Roman um, you know, overlord? Who is this guy? They're not sure that he really is God in flesh among them. Peter, a man of little faith, who will later in his life become a man of great faith. With a little faith, he gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. That tells me there's hope for all of us, church. There's hope for all of us. And there's a lot to glean from this passage. Like a little faith got Peter to start listening for the voice of Jesus. That's the first thing you see. While all of the other disciples are freaking out and they're screaming, Peter says, in the midst of all of that chaos... They're screaming, they're afraid. It's a ghost, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. The wind's blowing and the waves are crashing all over the place. Well, they're freaking out, Peter simply says this to Jesus. If it's really you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. So what does Peter do? He doesn't need a second opinion. He starts moving over the side of the boat. See, a little faith got Peter to start listening for the voice of God. And here's the promise that when Jesus calls you to do it, he's going to carry you through it. I don't care that he sank, I'm going to tell you why he sank in a minute. But right now what I care about is that he was a man with a little faith that was willing to trust God. And he was saying, God, look, if you call me to do it, you're going to carry me through it. In church, right now, some of you just need to be reminded of you're in a difficult spot right now. And it feels like you're sinking and the world's collapsing in and around you. But Jesus called you to what you're, what you're walking in. And you need to get your eyes back on him and say, you called me to what you're walking in. i got to trust you to carry me through it. But the problem is this, that we get ourselves into some really difficult spots because a little faith in your idea will get you nowhere. While a little faith in God's idea starts moving the mountains. See, we've got a problem with faith. We like to use faith to get God on our team. But that's not how faith works. Well, if I just trust God for, you know, whatever it is, something really big, he's going to come through. And I'm going to tell you right now that faith in your will gets you nowhere, but faith in God's will is what starts moving the mountains. And that's what we got to get back to, faith in God's will. He's the one who said, hey, come to me. Yes, it looks scary. Yes, it looks impossible. Come to me. It was God's will that caused Peter to get out of the boat. That's why he walked on the water. If Peter saw Jesus on the water and he climbs over the boat in his own will, he sinks immediately. And that's one of the things about faith that you've got to get screwed on straight inside of your mind. We don't control him being God. God controls us. And when our faith lines up with his will, yes, come. Then we start seeing the miraculous. Then we start seeing the impossible come to life. Are you with me so far? Church, it only takes, though, a little faith to start hearing the voice of God. To start sensing the whisper of the holy spirit just a little faith it's a, it's a little faith that can get you beyond the scary and help you overcome the fear it's just a little faith well all the disciples are screaming about the ghost it's peter who's leaning in to jesus if it's you if it's you it only takes a little faith to ask is it you lord and for all of our lives We need to be asking more. Is it you, Lord? It seems impossible, but is it you, Lord? It doesn't seem like this thing is going to work out, but is it you, Lord? It seems like it's beyond me, but is it you, Lord? Guys, the more we ask, is it you, Lord, the more we put ourselves, our faith, in a position to start hearing his voice again. We have to hear his voice. Don't climb out of the boat until you hear his voice. Don't climb out of the boat until you get his whisper. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself ahead of him. And that's going to be destructive for you. So a little faith allows allows you to start listening for the voice of Jesus. But it's also a little faith that got Peter, obviously, to step out of the boat. (laughs) I mean, after he hears the voice, then he starts going to the side of the boat and he starts putting one leg over the side. Until what happens? What would you do if you were in that situation? Wouldn't you put one leg over the side and see what happens? Yeah, of course you would. Because a little faith is being activated. He puts his leg over the side. Boom, it hits like concrete. Then what does he do? He gets the other leg over the side. But guess where his hands are still at? The same place your hands would be. On the boat. And you're going, I don't understand this. And where's Jesus at? Where do you think Jesus is at? He's back here. So what do you got to do? Get your hands off the boat, turn around, and start walking towards Jesus. And that's exactly what Peter does. Peter activated in that moment this mustard seed faith. But notice, what are all the other disciples activating? Nothing. Big goose eggs of faith. Nothing. Nada. They're all watching Peter like, whew, he's, he's out there, man. I don't know what's going to happen with this guy, right? Are we going to have to save him? Are we going to have to rescue him? What's going to happen? I don't know. People have been lost at sea before. He might be lost at sea. But watch this. When a little faith is placed in our unstoppable Jesus, guess what starts to happen in your life? A little faith placed in the unstoppable Jesus, all of a sudden fear starts to diminish. That's what was happening with Peter. It's the same thing that will happen with you. When we put our faith in an unstoppable Jesus, let me tell you what else happens. Your obstacles start shrinking in their stature. The things that seem like gigantic walls that you can't get over and you can't get around, all of a sudden they shrink down to the size of a little sidewall on a boat that you can just step over into the water, right? Things that seemed impossible, they start to shrink And they start to lose their monstrous perspective down to a microscopic perspective. And faith starts to overcome them. But let me tell you what else happens when you put your faith in an unstoppable Jesus. You start to rise above whatever's holding you down. And you start walking on the water. You rise above the addiction. You rise above the fear. You rise above the depression. Right? You rise above it. You walk on it. That's what happens when we put our faith in an unstoppable Jesus. And this is really what's powerful. When that happens, a little faith then can take you places that you never thought were possible. And they can cause you to walk where you've never walked before. Guys, a little bit of faith can take you on a journey that you never thought was possible. And that's what happens for Peter. Peter becomes the only other man in biblical history to ever have walked on water. I tried it when I was a kid. At my grandparents' lake. Didn't work. I even said to them, well, Peter walked up, well, maybe we could do this. Like, let's get, some, infl- let's get like, some inflatable feet and let's try that. So my parents bought these big inflatable, like, feet kind of things. They were worthless. Like, th- that was the disaster waiting to happen. That was crack your head open moment. That was, like, flip upside down, your feet are floating, your head sinking moment. Like, that, that didn't work out very well, but it worked out great for Peter. He went Places he never thought were possible because a little faith was put in an unstoppable Jesus. Come on, somebody. Right? But here's the challenge: if you never take that first step, you never get to take the journey. You gotta activate faith. You gotta step over the boat. You gotta get beyond your fear. You gotta take that very first step. And that first step can be very, very difficult. And that's like what a man, Charles Ellett Jr. discovered back in 1848 when he was commissioned as an engineer to build the very first suspension bridge going over the Niagara Falls Gorge from the United States to Canada. It was all going to be built out of wood. But he knew that he had to get a large, a very large metal cable across the gorge. And the waters were flowing like crazy right there torrents of water, volumes of water were flowing over the spot where the bridge was supposed to go because of its narrowness and the gorge was so deep that it was going to be an impossible task almost to get that across there. It was going to be daunting to do it. And then it dawned on him. If I could just get a kite string, just a little itsy-bitsy kite string across there, then I could use that to pull a thinner rope, use the thinner rope to pull a thicker rope, use the thicker rope to pull a thin metal, to use that to do a medium to eventually get to the thickness of the metal that I need to pull across there so that we can attach a basket and men can go back and forth and we can work on this bridge as we build it and tools can go back and forth. So it dawns on him, he goes, I need to do something. I need to put on a kite flying contest to build the modern-day suspension bridge. Everybody shows up. They all light their kites up, right? Well, they don't light them up. That's not a good move. They're not like little rocket ships like we would use today or drones. No, the kites go up, right, and from the United States side, and the kites aren't getting across. One 16-year-old boy notices this. He goes way up the river, takes him most of the day to get up the river, cross on a small little boat, and come all the way back down. And the sun is getting ready to set, and he, li- he lifts off his, his little you know, kite from the Canadian side. And Holman Wallace, he, he lifts wa- this thing off, and the winds immediately start pulling it towards, towards America. And he's like, I'm going to do it. It's going to be amazing. And then right about the time he gets there, it just goes kaboom right into the, right into the river. So the next day, he comes back out, and he does it again. And on his second attempt, he gets it all the way across, and he wins the prize in 1948, a whole whopping $5. But then Charles takes that one little itty-bitty kite string, and he turns it all the way into a really thick metal cable that eventually allows him to build a modern-day suspension bridge over the Niagara Falls Gorge. One little kite string led to that. And that means that one little act of faith is all it's going to take for you to begin a journey that will eventually change your life. And this is what the Bible says about God when it comes to this perspective. It says in Zechariah chapter 4, Do not despise these small beginnings, the little kite string moments. For the Lord rejoices to see the what begin. The work begin. He enjoys seeing us take the small little step that eventually leads to a journey that eventually changes your life forever. So never forget that a little act of faith might seem like a small beginning, but it can lead to the greatest journey you have ever taken in your life. So the question for us today, right now, according to this point, is what is the little step that Jesus is asking you to take right now? What's the little step? It doesn't seem like much to you. But it could be the very step that begins a journey like you've never experienced before. What's the little step that you got to take right now? Another observation was that it was a little faith that kept Peter's eyes on Jesus. It was just a little faith. Man, Peter, you have, you have little faith. But that little faith is what kept his eyes on Jesus. As long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, his faith was productive, right? But remember what the Bible says? It says that when Peter, what, saw The strong winds and the waves, he began to sink. Let me just change your perspective on what I believe happened at that very moment. Peter was a fisherman. He had experienced these kind of waves and this kind of wind, right? He had already gotten out of the boat, and he was walking on these waves that he's seen before. This is common for him. This is not common for you and me. It would scare us, but common for him. He's walking on these waves. Now, that's not common at all. And eventually, I think this is what really happens. It's not just that he sees the strong winds and the waves, it's that he gets his eyes on him. He gets his eyes on him and he's like, hey, 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 hold on. What What in the world am I doing? Who am I? I'm not a big rabbi. I'm not a miracle worker. I don't take a couple of pieces of bread and some fish and feed thousands of people. That's just not who I am. I'm a fisherman. And he looked across and he saw the lights of his community where he grew up as a little kid and where his father grew up and his grandfather grew up. And he saw and he was like, We just fish on this lake. I'm not some super, superhuman. And he starts to sink into the water because he got his eyes on him. He got his eyes off of Jesus. And whenever we get our eyes on us, we start thinking the same thing. We start seeing how, how little we are instead of seeing how big God is. That will sink you every time. Every time when you get your eyes on you and then instead of him, you start missing out on how big God is. And here's the big problem with that. The big problem is that you've been called individually To live out a big vision for for Jesus. God's got a big mission for your life. Not a little mission. He's got a big one for your life. And when we get our eyes on us... And we see our, our insufficiencies, and we see why, why we can't do it. Like, I don't have a degree. I can't do that. I don't have money. I, don't, I can't do that. Like, I don't have leadership. I can't do that. I'm not married. I can't do this or can't do that. Or, you know, this person, I'm not like them. I can't speak like that person. Like, I don't have, you know what I'm saying? Like, we get our eyes on us. All of a sudden, the big vision God's called us to, we just let it crumple and fall into the sea, and we sink with it. And so all these big visions that God's called us to are just laying there dormant. Because to live out a big vision, you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Let me give you an example. Our church. Our church isn't the biggest church in the world. And, and we live in rural America. Right? Like some people would say, look, you just live in rural America. Like just don't, you can't dream big dreams. Like people that live in metro zones that have really big churches, they live, they live out big dreams. Because we can't use the excuse that we live in a rural area, right, to think to ourselves like we can't dream big. Like, that's not what God called us to. God called us to dream his size of a dream, not our size of a dream. And God's dream is calling us to do this, plant another campus. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to take a lot of leadership. It's going to take a lot of planning. It's going to take a lot of prayer. But we can't walk away from it and just go, we're just a little church here in rural America. No, we got to lean into God and go, God, okay, we'll plant that next campus. God's calling us to be more generous this year than we were last year. We can't just say, oh, well, that was just a fluke or, you know, well, that only happened once or, you know, God, we're just a little church in rural America, like, what can we do? No, we gotta lean in, we gotta trust God. God, if you're calling us to be more generous this year, then we're gonna do it. We gotta make more room for more people to come in. Right? We want to fill up all of our services in all of our locations and plant more services that creates more work that needs more volunteers. We can't just sit around and go, hey, look, we're just a little church right, in rural America. We can't dream big. God's going, no, I didn't, I didn't put you there to dream a little dream. I put you there to dream, dream my size dream, which is a big dream. If we get our eyes on us, we'll never accomplish it. But we get our eyes on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All things are possible. And the same thing happens with you. God's got a big dream for you. He's got a big vision for you. So, what does that mean for you? Well, you got to dream bigger. You just flat got to dream bigger. You got to close your eyes every once in a while and start seeing yourself loving people, right? Witnessing to them, ministering to them, and then start living that out. Got to dream bigger. We got to live more generous, right? I've never heard of someone saying, I wish I wasn't as generous as I am. Never heard a person say that, but I have heard people going, I wish I was more generous. Right? So let's live more generous. Let's take more risk. You know what you hear from people that are the elderly among us? One of the things they will say to you and to me is this I wish I would have taken more risk when I was young. We got to love more. You can never love too much. We got to seek God a little bit more. We got to keep. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And a little faith can do amazing things, church. Lastly, a little faith opened up a big door for Peter. I mean, just imagine what took place inside of Peter's heart once he got out of that boat and he actually walked on that water. Even though Jesus had to save him at the end. He started with a little faith, but that's not how Peter ended his life. Peter had such faith. Before Jesus was ever crucified, right, and the mission was handed off to guys like Peter and eventually handed off to you and me to continue preaching the good news of Jesus to a lost and a dying world, that before Jesus left, Jesus looked at Peter and spoke to the rest of his disciples. He says, it's upon this rock. It's upon people like Peter. It's upon people like him who have this kind of level of faith. It's upon this rock I'm going to build my church. He goes from a man of little faith to a man of, I'm going to build my church on that kind of faith. That opened up big doors for a guy like Peter. So you might be asking to yourself, like, what's this door on the stage with you for? If I was in your shoes, I'd be saying that. Like, You haven't even spoke about it. You haven't said anything about it. Well, now I am. This door is the threshold between where you are and where God's calling you to. It's the threshold. On this side of the door it's the comfort zone of the boat, right? You can live in it, you can do what you wanna do, be who you wanna be, just keep going the route that you're gonna go, survive the storms, live through the wind and the waves, go through the difficult moments, but on the other side of the door is you're gonna have to walk on the water. You're gonna have to take a little bit of faith and put it into action. But here's, here's one commonality for all of us, that door, It only takes one little key to open that door. This little key opens every door at the Kearney campus, every door at the Ogallala campus, every door at the North Platte campus. This is the one key that rules them all. (laughs) For you Lord of the Rings fans, (laughs) this is one key. It only takes one little key to open up a big door. you have keys with you right now? Get your keys out really quick. Come on, everybody, get your keys out. This is going to be good. You're going to want to get your keys out. Trust me. I want you just to hold a key in your hand, okay? If you, if you have a set of keys, you know, and you're married, and that's, that's what you got, then, you know, take each other's hand and hold the key. I just want you to get a key in your hand. Because it's one little key, right, that opens up big doors. It's one little act of faith. That opens up God-sized doors for our life. And with your little key that you're holding and you're looking at, right, you are one little key. You are one little act of faith away from seeing God open up a very big door in your life. And all it takes is one little key, one little act of faith. Such as this, for some of you, you need to use this key to open up the door of faith to salvation with Christ and Christ alone. Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would open the door, I will come in. Some of you need to take this key, stick it in the lock, and open it up and let Jesus come in. Let Jesus come into your life and transform you and change you. Use that key of faith. Open up that door. It will be the greatest door you've ever opened up in your life. Greater than the door of your degree. Greater than the door of your spouse that you're married to. Greater than the door of your first child. It'll be the greatest door you've ever opened up. One little act of faith. One little key opens up gigantic doors. And the question for you and me today is this. What door is Jesus asking you to walk through? It's going to take one little act of faith. One little key of faith. That's what it's going to take. And if Jesus is asking you to walk through the door, he'll give you what you need on the other side you're waiting for everything on this side he gives you what you need when you go through the door when you activate the faith when you put your foot over the side of the boat it's when your feet hit the impossible that he starts giving you what you need stop waiting for him to give you everything you need right now take the one little one little key of faith take the one little act of faith activate faith and start walking through the doors god's called you to church I wanted to leave that example with you because today you're gonna to walk through many doors. You're not gonna be on many boats today. Oh, it's, it's nice, I get it. But you're not gonna be on many boats today, but you're gonna walk through a lot of doors and you're gonna use keys all week long and every time you use a key, I just want you to think a little key opens a big door. A little act of faith opens a God-sized opportunity for me i got to be a person that just takes a little faith and puts it into action. That's not where God's going to leave you. He's going to want to grow your faith. He grew Peter's faith. He'll grow your faith. But all we need right now is a little faith to do something extraordinary for God. Are you with me? All right, let's stand. Come on, let's stand. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord, what is the door you want me to open? Right? What is is that door you want me to walk through? So, Jesus, we just come to you right now. We pray. You know, look, this is our life. We lay it down before you. We know you got big doors for us to walk through. And all it takes is a little key to open the door. It takes a little faith to walk through a God-sized door. Lord, would you help us to have the kind of faith required to walk through those doors? To trust you that you will give us everything we need on the other side? That you'll help us to walk on the impossible. To journey where we've never journeyed before. You'll take us places we never thought we could ever go. You'll help us love people we never thought were lovable. You'll help us lead people that we never thought we could lead. You'll help us be generous where we never thought we could be generous. Lord, you'll help us heal marriages that we thought were impossible to heal. Lord, you'll help us heal relationships that we thought were impossible to heal, but we gotta step through the door first. Lord, we we gotta trust you with our finances. We didn't think it was possible. We gotta step through the door first. It's when we take the first step do when we insert the little key that all of a sudden what seemed impossible becomes possible through you. Because you are unstoppable. And if you call us to it, you will lead us through it. So Lord, would you show us the doors that you want us to take a little step of faith through so that you can do something big, massive, that seems impossible? We're going to trust you with our lives. And we're going to lay our life down right now. And we're going to start trusting you to take one little step of faith today. In Jesus' name, amen.